Welcome to episode three of the Screen Presence Podcast. Our guest for this episode looking at disability is producer Greg Nugent from Harder Than You Think, the production company behind the fantastic documentary Rising Phoenix, which is currently on Netflix. I first heard Greg speak as part of the launch for Rising Phoenix back in July 2020 and was struck by the passionate and focused way in which he spoke about the need to work differently and how through doing so we all benefit and in so many ways. It resonated with me not only because it's something we have seen through our work here at TAPE, but also in the work of many other organisations around the country who start from a point of supporting involvement and presenting what they do in an inclusive way. Greg's experiences and the ideas he shares in this episode speak to what's possible and how we enrich our work and our lives through partnership and a willingness to embrace change. My co-host this week is Brookan Tudor, who's an artist, writer, curator and cricket coach. I met Brookan during his tenure as director at Disability Arts Cymru. He's a passionate creative and advocate, so it was great to have him be part of this episode looking at disability and inclusive practice. My thanks to Greg and Brooke for being part of the show. And here for you now is episode three of the Screen Presence podcast. Welcome to the Screen Presence podcast and welcome to my co-host for this episode, Brookan. Brookan, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what has brought you to the co-host's chair today? Yeah, sure, Steve. Um, yeah, so my background really started off as, as an augmented reality um, installation artist. And um, yeah, I really started putting energy into thinking about other people's work and, and curating and developing other people's practice um, about 13 years ago um, with an organisation called Wilson and Projects in Liverpool. And that was my first experience, really, of, of thinking about CPD and thinking about creating exchange opportunities where people could learn skills from working with different range of practitioners. Um, and so that was a practice that I continued um, through the development of an organization called CAPO, um, which was set up really with that in specifically in mind to create opportunities for people to, to share skills and experiences in, through the development of new work. Um, and I suppose that's my biggest buzz, really, as, as a creative professional, is to create opportunities for people to make new work, um, for them to be paid to do so, um, and for them to develop new skills along the way and to meet new people and to create kind of genuine life-changing and career-changing career opportunities. Um, uh, with that in mind um, and with my own experience with um, with with being a disabled practitioner through disability that um, I contracted as a result of a, um, a virus that I picked up when I was 20. Um, I took up the post of Director of Disability Arts Cymru in, in 2018, and that gave me an opportunity to continue that practice and um, working with a range of, of disabled um, artists and creative practitioners. Um, and again, just to continue to grow that, that passion really, I think that one thing that became really, really clear from from working in that role um, was um, a kind of um, opportunity gap or a kind of uh, underrepresentation, probably the best way to say it, um, in terms of disabled practitioners and, and the opportunities that they were given to tell their creative story. Um, and I think that um, since leaving that post, that has continued to be a real kind of passion of mine. 
um, and something that I'm that I'm continuing to focus on. Um, and uh, leading up to the beginning of this year, I was working with Film Cymru Wales on on a on a project called Mindset, um, which was looking at um, underrepresentation um, and um, and and just the, the types of different different types of people that were working within the film and screen um, industry and the type of environment, type of working environment that had become dominant um, and the exclusivity of it um, in terms of the way that um, it was just really hard for, for people with barriers, additional barriers and challenges um, to actually make their way within that industry um, for a lot of different reasons. And we're looking at, at mental health and the effect that working in that industry can have on your mental health. Um, and uh, yeah, and that sort of brought me into this year, really. Um, and I've got a project bubbling away in the background, which I know you said I could give me an opportunity to, 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 um, to put it out there. So if there's any creative practitioners that are working with um, a lived experience of long-term pain, then um, if they can, um, if they're interested in sharing that story and getting in touch for chat, then they can they can do that by yourself and take. Because I'd be really interested to hear more about that. Sure, we can put some. We can put a link in the uh, in the show notes for that. Uh, uh, no problem. Um, and you're also involved with men's disabled cricket in Wales, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm proud to say that I'm I've been a cricket coach now for the last ten 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 years. Um, at a regional level and this year I've actually taken up the post as a, um, a coach of the men's performance um, Welsh disabled cricket side so that's the the kind of the elite side um, and I'm really looking forward to, to continuing that role next year um, and yeah, as I say that's that's a passion of mine a kind of quite an unusual perhaps um, um, tie-in being a creative practitioner something that you know, you don't necessarily see that often. Um, and, and another reason why I was really, really excited to um, to, to watch um, Rising Phoenix and to see and hear about some of the, the stories of the people that, that made up that, that that film and about their sporting development, personal development. And, uh, yeah, it's just really inspiring, just really excited to, to meet Greg and to chat to him about that today that leads us nicely into introducing our guest for this episode who is greg nugent uh, and he joins us uh, to talk about his work and his links to disability greg can you tell us a bit about the work you've done prior to working in film production yeah i was the marketing director of uh, chief marketing officer of london 2012 way back when that's actually the place where i learned the story of the paralympics um and then since then i've been very involved in um you know lots of campaigns but probably most notably the Heads Together campaign, um, which was for their Royal Highnesses um, around mental health. Um, actually, in that time, I was also a board member of the British Paralympic Association. So what I learned on 2012 has not left me. Uh, can you just tell us what was the catalyst for the Rising Phoenix project? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the idea. I actually had the idea when I first joined London 2012. So that would be way, way back when. Um, it dawned on me that the Olympics was a relatively easy, hard work, but easy thing to grasp. But the Paralympics was going to be hard work and quite a hard thing to grasp. And the reason for that primarily was there was no manuscript. There was no 
uh, blueprint. There was no book that said this is how you do it. And actually, when we arrived, what I learned straight away was that the International Paralympic Committee were very, very kind of gone. Then you do it your way, and and so that was that's very helpful. But also, there's a kind of lot of responsibility on the local organising committee to learn to then get the Paralympics right. And so I'd learned this story about this amazing guy who fled the Nazis and, you know, managed to get over the channel and got here and, you know, wasn't allowed to practice medicine in the way that he'd done in Germany. And, you know, crudely, the best job that he was offered was to help spinal rehabilitation unit in um, Stoke Mandeville. And instead of him going, you know, I used to be the, you know, the one of the best, you know, best practitioners in Germany, he said, yes, please. And and then you learn this thing about on day one, he wanted to change the way that people were treated with spinal injuries. And so actually I learned that story and I was a bit like, God, that's almost like a Hollywood story. Um, and so maybe 2010, I would have been sat on that idea. But the truth is it, it was always just lying pretty dormant until the Rio games nearly collapsed. And it struck me that it didn't really matter how successful London was. Um, if a country like Rio could treat the Paralympics, you know, not the people, but the politicians of Rio treat it with real disdain, actually, then actually it just felt to me that the movement was never safe. And I felt that the, the you know, nothing beats a story of it in a film. And I thought, what if we just put that into a film? And I kind of then began the crusade of how on earth do you do this? And, you know, lots of people in the industry said, don't bother, you know, no one will watch a film with people with disability in them. And we, I'm, I'm pleased to say we've kind of proved them wrong. Uh, yeah, if I can jump in a little bit there. Um, well, first of all, um, I thought the film was was inspiring and, and beautiful in equal measures. And I really did think that it, it told the story of those the, those those kind of case studies, if you want, um, really, really eloquently. And um, it really communicated their journey as, as as athletes, really, and what some of the the barriers and challenges um, that they'd gone through to achieve what what they achieved. Um, so I thought thought the film did that really beautifully. Um, and I'm just I'm just interested, really, in terms of the context of this this podcast. Um, what kind of you know sim, sim, similar barriers that disabled and deaf filmmakers actually might might struggle with in terms of and you just touched on it briefly there in terms of the, the 2016 Rio Paralympics and, and really um, the people that were in charge of organising that kind of, you know, where where the importance, if you like, of the Paralympics ranked in terms of their outlook on the world. And, and I suppose that's, that's a stark reminder to all of us um, in terms of how far we've got still to go to make this a more even playing field um across you know all kinds of areas of of of, of life but um i guess in terms of, of this podcast we're talking about film production so um yeah um, i'm not really sure what the question is but um i'm just really interested in that link i suppose between um that particular film and and and, and how it showed some 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 stories um of athletes that are able to to overcome those barriers and it just got got me thinking about the film, the disabled filmmakers out there, and what barriers they're they're up against, and how how they can get their story out there. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably say two things. The first thing is, I mean, we live we live in a world of, you know, significant global unrest, and you know, we live in a world. I think where the dominant one of the dominant strands or themes is about representation, and so. 
Black Lives Matter or Me Too, um, you know, gay pride, um, you know, they're, they're very, very, very potent expressions of, I think, crying for representation, effective representation. And I must say that in that space, I think movements have really, really, you know, the internet's changed the way we mobilise. It does feel to me like the disabled community have, you know, the the activism within it is still there, but other movements have progressed, right? And I think it's really essential that the disabled community do continue to to um, to work together and you know mobilise in a way that means that their voice is not lost, right? And so that that's why I think this film, Crip Camp, they're very important films. They're the highest level of storytelling, I feel, um, on a par with any other um, story. And and they're important because I think that they, they're trying to correct the, the, the problem of popular culture not really covering these stories. Now, within that, I think one of the things I've learned is just how difficult it is if you're a if you're disabled and you're in the film industry, it is almost impossible, right, to to for your career to kind of work the way that somebody with equal talent but without the disability, you know, would work. And so, you know, like it's a silly example, but it's really important. But the first thing we did is we said to, you know, the people that make films, we said, look, what what's the first move you make? And, you know, raise the money and find the directors and, you know, hire the editors. But the one of the first moves you make is where do you put the office? And so we said, well, where do you where do you normally put offices? And they go, well, somewhere cheap. And we go, right, okay, where's that? And basically, there was talk about kind of pretty far out of London, but accessible by the tube. And then you look at accessibility of the tube map outside of London; it's not very good, right? So we were like, where's the most accessible tube site in London? And it happened to be Tottenham Court Road. And when we said that. Very early on to lots of experienced filmmakers, they were like, oh, my God, you can't you're not going to spend your money on an office on Tottenham Court Road. I mean, that no one does that. And you're like, yeah, we have to because we can't have a film where the crew we're going to work really hard on the crew being able to get to work. And we can't then say, could you come out to, you know, to somewhere that you've never been before just to do your work? And so and so as part of that, we then looked at four or five different offices in Tottenham Court Road. I mean, one of them actually had stairs with no lift. And the person told us that that was fine for people in wheelchairs. And we literally couldn't believe what they were saying, the person selling the property. Um, and I think that was metaphor, a metaphor, really, for the how hard it is in the industry. You know, what a film crew tend to do is they tend to go, hey, we've got a shoot in two weeks. Let's put a call out for talent. But actually if you're a disabled filmmaker it's not as easy to do that in two weeks as it is for somebody that can go yep okay i can jump on a plane or a train and so on so so we tried to build the conditions within the project so that actually it was very easy for people with disability to work on the project and the net result of that is you know we publicly say that 16 one six percent of people that worked on Rising Phoenix um, were disabled, but actually it was more than that because the music was very, very driven by disabled talent. So I bet you we did, you know, one out of five. And what it's taught us is that if we're going to, and we're doing it again at the moment with a big project at the moment, is we just got to plan earlier, right? We've got to go earlier. This is about essentially recognising that um, we have to try harder to make it work. If you do try harder, the crew's happier, the talent's all there. You know, there's no... And, and and I think you get rewarded by those people that 
come into your system because they know you've tried harder to make it accessible for them. That's we did it on a micro scale on a single dot. We're going to try and do it again on a doc series, but that feels to me like a very big conversation that's needed across the filmmaking industry. Absolutely, and and just off the back of that that answer, Greg, how how did working differently enrich the process and the end results? It made the whole thing more more authentic, more more true, and it meant that we were never, you know, there's this. I mean, I've worked on projects where people develop ideas and then when they really like them, they take them to people and go, do you like my idea? And if someone goes, well, I wouldn't have done that, they get really aggressive and defensive. And, you know, we all do because we have ideas. What we've, what I think the directors particularly did brilliantly was they never, ever really ran too far with an idea before they felt that the team, and particularly those members of the team with disabilities, actually had a serious contribution to the to the creative conversation and it made for a much better film more harmonious team a better working environment more productive i mean the irony of this whole thing is that actually there's a lot of evidence that companies with strong um, leadership on representation and therefore strong numbers on representation there's a lot of empirical evidence now to say they perform better and i think we perform better as a result of the the, the, the hard work we put into um the thinking on how to make the team diverse and by the way we only got 16 percent and i i kind of feel very disappointed we only got 16 by the way that's miles more than what nearly everyone else does and i i've set the target for the next production at 25 mm. <clears throat> i think um it's great to hear you it's great to hear you say that first and foremost but also um it's it's like a no-brainer, isn't it? Really, when we're when we're telling stories, we're trying to reach as many people with those stories as we possibly can. Um, and so, the more rounded our approach to telling those stories is, the more the different types of people that we involve in in the production and and the platform and and the structure and the the vehicle, if you like, for telling those stories, the more people those stories are going to reach because. It's it's kind of um, it's an obvious equation, isn't it? Really, just like the more rounded something is going in, the more rounded it's going to be coming out. I suppose. I mean, the only thing I'd say, and it needs saying, is two things. One is it's hard work doing that. So if you're a leader and you go, I believe in it, I'll make it happen. It's hard work, right? You know, the probably so it should be. But the second thing is it's invariably it probably is makes things more expensive yeah. and, and i feel that that is another area where the industry will need to change in the next few years is that you've got to properly budget for things and that you know the a budget is only a kind of construct you know if you then go oh yeah but we can't afford to do xyz you go well you know where do your values sit because your budget your values have got to be more important than your budget right and so you know i do hope that this is changing and as it changes i feel we'll get better at those things like budgeting but you know to give people credit it's hard work i think that is is key isn't it we've got to move away from how do we do things as quick and as cheaply as possible basically um because to to engage um properly in in that kind of method of production it is going to take longer it is going to be more expensive you do need to consider access costs in a, in a variety of different areas um and like you say that's that's a big shift um from where we've been previously to where we need to go i think the learning and ideas that you're taking into the uh, from from the production of rising phoenix into your your ongoing work how um are you working to 
uh, increase the percentage of representation. Um, you know, so you've raised it to 25%. What are some of the th things that you've learned that you're adopting now? I think, I think this is really about, I mean, first of all, the profile of Rising Phoenix and the kind of the, the reputation it's gained of people knowing that we tried to do it the right way. It's, it's brought a lot of people to us. Um, and we've learned a lot through, you know, people like Lenny Henry, who's actually doing something similar, but um, for the black community are actually, you know, and ultimately diversity in broadcasting. So if you look at some of the things that um, others have done in other areas, it's, it helps us. I mean, you know, like on the, on a, we've a few people, lots of people have come to us to say, you know, no one ever, we, this is what we can do. No one's given us a chance to do it on the kind of thing you work on. And our, our you know, our, 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 we will try and take the risks where we think we can, knowing that they are risks so that these things work. And, you know, invariably they do work. Um, so, you know, whether it's um, working, you know, a lot of this is about getting out of London and realising what this whole country has to offer. And we found some pretty amazing um, people and, um, you know, and contributors around country who actually can all help us and zoom's helping us you know like the, the the world of zoom is helping us because there's no can you jump on a train we asked tanny gray thompson what it's like to jump on a train every day and it's not easy if you're in a chair so so um i feel that in a funny old way the zoom is making things more accessible and what we're doing is reaching out to more people we are genuinely replying to people on linkedin which i don't think anyone does i think this is about taking a risk and um and i think it's working I think what you touch on there is the, the personalization of, uh, of working conditions, I think, which um, which is something that this pandemic and, and the resulting kind of our working practice um, has kind of naturally um, kind of transformed everyone's working conditions. Um, and uh, it's something that I worked on previously with, with a project and um, with an organization called FACT, um, who are based in Liverpool, really interesting organization. Um, and uh, they, I was involved in supporting a project that they ran called the Fu the Future World of Work, um, which was about com commissioning a, a disabled practitioner to um, utilise new and emerging media to personalise their their working environment. Um, so I think that yeah, there's there seems to be a, a really kind of useful link about the way that. Um, that everyone now is having to kind of personalise their working environment due to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And, you know, that really is is something that, that we should be utilising to kind of um, see much more clearly um, some of the, um, perhaps some of the, the, the methods for, for overcoming access barriers for disabled producers and practitioners. Well, we've we've rattled through the questions in a really concise way today. So thank you very much. Um, I have one last question, Greg. What would you like people to take away from our conversation today? Well, look, I think um, the spirit of I think what can be done, um, you know, and and the 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 numbers in this space are low, right? So anybody who is willing to lead or set an example and try and lead is going to make a difference. Um, and you know, we're very lucky, you know thanks to the IPC and the movement they gave us the right to tell the story and it's been an incredible privilege but in doing that I think we've also tried to start other conversations you know principally about you know trying to find talent in the industry to work on this stuff and yeah look I would say um 
you can, there is huge space here for people to still contribute and make a significant difference and um and that's exciting because i think you know in a lot of other areas things have been done so i hope people listening will take great um strength from the progress that we've made even though we don't you know we want to make more because i think if we can get it right over this next decade it would be an incredible thing to achieve right that that you know the forces here change and i do sense that's happening you know go and talk to the bbc or charlotte moore or tim davy you know that they want a different type of content now and i think the uk is ahead of most other countries but those other countries are following so you know there's a brilliant opportunity if we can kind of you know be a bit restless and difficult and determined and take some risks that others wouldn't i think the reward is there it's wonderful to hear you say that i think risk risks as well are key aren't they because we're asking production companies um if you're asking them to take an extra three months to shoot something to add an act an, an access budget um you know we're talking about risks really so um it, it that's that's the kind of big step if you like isn't it well look greg thank you so much for coming on the show brooke and thank you so much for joining us as a as a my co-host today um really grateful to you both for making the time to to be on the screen presence podcast thank you very much indeed the screen presence podcast is brought to you by tape community music and film in partnership with the bfi artwork is by matt canning and the music was written and performed through the tape project the sound of color orchestra Post-production is carried out as part of Tape's Media Club, a project through which people from across communities work together and receive person-centred training on a range of creative activities, which in turn supports the development of new work and ideas.